Welcome back to Post Traumatic Thriving, where we talk about die, survive, and thrive. I am here with Tanya Brown. Tanya, nice to see you. Hi, everyone. Okay. Good to see you. Yeah, and uh, welcome back. And our wonderful guest, Jody Barber. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you both. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So of we're going to talk about survive. And before we jump into that, I just a quick recap. If you've just joined on this episode, I really would encourage you to go back and listen to Jody's story about really being in an idyllic Orange County setting, mm-hmm. uh, growing up in Fountain Valley, uh, marrying a great guy from Huntington Beach. Was he a surfer? Most guys I know from Huntington. Body surfer. Body surfer. All right. <laughs> and then moving to Laguna Niguel, having two boys, healthy boys. Your oldest was premature, but everything worked out. Yes. Um, ate a lot of oatmeal and gained all that weight real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And and then uh, going, they play sports. They played, they're both pitchers for the baseball team and get into high school. And then in episode two, uh, the unthinkable happens. Your son who's struggling with marijuana and drugs and stuff like that. One son, one son is, uh, is not. And then um, your son overdoses, which is just an, a nightmare and passes away. And that is very obviously very touching. I, I can't wrap my head around the grief you've been through. So <laughs> our hearts go out to you and my heart goes out to Thank you. you. And, and thanks for, I just want to pause and say thanks for sharing this because this is not fun for you to talk about. It's I, I think about how it's not fun to hear from my end. I Thank can't you. imagine how being a parent, uh, but you have a lot of courage. I was pretty floored because in meeting you, I've heard your name for years. Um, so it's a real honor to be sitting in the same room with you. Oh, gosh. Thank you. I well, feel the same about you. Both. <laughs> well, Jeez. thanks. Thank you. But. I, you know, you, you're just a sweet woman who's obviously radiates kindness. And for you to have the courage to walk into the doctor's office face to face with this dirty doctor who's prescribing kids drugs and they are literally dying. And you've put together a poster to honor these lives and to wake people up that this is going on. Now, this is just South Orange County. This is a little yeah. community. And there's dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of these kids dying from these drugs. And this is an incredible episode. Yeah. Tanya, you, you, you know, hats off to you for bringing Jody here. Um, because parents need to know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they really do. Mm-hmm. And so thanks for the courage of, of just, you know, standing up and talking about this because uh, I can't think of any other word than courage. Um, and now we're going into survival mode. This is where we get back on our feet. And so, Jody, I'm just getting, I, I'm curious because I, Jody, Jody, I've heard your name from Tanya and I think maybe your sister and your mom. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But for years, how did you guys meet and what's the connection with the Brown family? So okay, so I'll start. So I was so I was in graduate school and I was caregiving for my dad who had Alzheimer's. My mom had stage three C breast cancer and Facebook hadn't like it wasn't what it is today, right? And so I'm like, what's this Facebook thing? So started getting on it, and this woman, Jody Barber, kept popping up. Now keep in mind, right? I had my own story of mental health issues, suicide ideations, and you know, attempts, etc. So here I am. I'm looking at Facebook and 
this woman, Jody keeps <laughs> popping up. I'm like, who is this lady? Like, right. So yeah. you were sharing stories about all these kids who battle with anxiety and depression and they're thinking about suicide. And, and here I am, what I, I'm in my early, thir- maybe 36, 37 at that time. But no, 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 no. I don't even remember when I'm not going to put an age to it, but anyway, it was in 2012. So do the math. And, um, and I was just like, wow, you know, I have my own story, but yet in 2012, we weren't talking about the things that we're talking about today, right? We weren't talking about suicide or addiction or drugs or alcohol and opiates and fentanyl and all that stuff. We weren't talking about it. So here Jody pops up and I'm like, hmm, I reached out to Jody and I said, you know, here I have my own story. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. This is how I remember it. I said, you know, I have my own story. I said, what's going on? And here, I just remember sitting on my own story for so long. And then with Facebook and you sharing, you know, all of the, all of the stories that you're sharing. I mean, 10 year olds, 12 year olds, 20 year olds, you know, addicted to drugs, alcohol, committing suicide, taking their own lives. I mean, it it was just like, oh my God, Tanya, you need to reach out to her because I have a story. Maybe my story can help the people that she wants to help. So I reached out to you and, um, and we met at Bistro K, a little, you know, Laguna or Laguna Niguel restaurant. And you brought in all the posters and I didn't know any of the kids at that time. And um, later on, I learned about, right. The posters. So Mm -hmm. there's Jared on, on the top row. And then my nephew's best friend, Nick is on the bottom left And I, but again, like I didn't know what this whole thing was. And so when we had that conversation at Bistro K, ever since then, I'm like, hey, Jody, what can we do? You know, what can I do to help you? What, what can we do together? And, you know, then as time progressed, you know, the epidemic grew with drugs and alcohol, heroin, opiates, just like, you know, the whole gamut. And, um, and I just, to this day, like in the beginning of everything, I was like, okay, if somebody came to me and said, Tanya, Hey, where do I go? And I'm like, Jody, I don't know. Jody, I've got this 19 year old who's battling with drug addiction. Mom's calling me. Where do I go? I I'm like, I've always defaulted to Jody. I mean, you've always been my go-to, I call you my orange County my orange County warrior mama against drugs and alcohol, because you know, so like, you know, so many resources and again, like Jody, where can I, where can I send where this person? Where did you person? guys first meet? That's what I'm trying to. When yeah. this is probably 2012 or 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you call, you re- called or reached out to Jody? I reached out to her when okay. I started reading on Facebook about, you know. Okay. Yeah. And Jody, when, I know that you became friends with Mrs. I call her Mrs. Brown, <laughs> uh, Ms., uh, Tanya's mom, Judy Brown. Uh, tell us about that friendship. Oh, God. It was a beautiful friendship. Oh, I miss her so much. <laughs> Judy was no, I'm an amazing, <laughs> I know. She was an amazing mother and grandmother. And uh, and she, she used to call me her hero. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? That is like unbelievable for her. To, she was my hero at big time. She is what you call a hero. I'm not a hero. She was, she's definitely a hero. What she <laughs> has in, endured, you know, it was just unbelievable. And um, she, yeah, she had some, you know, issues 
um, that she was dealing with in her family, in your family. Mm -hmm. And she was just asking for my assistance with it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was trying to help her with that. And and you had an obvious common bond. You had both been through that uh, undescribable hell of losing a child. And, and, and we and, talked about that. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about that. Well, and what those yeah. conversations look like, you know, she, this is why I call her my hero. My gosh, <laughs> we'd be sitting there and she just knew she'd say, Jody, you know, life goes on, you know, you gotta, you have to move on and, and live your life. You only have one life to live and you need to live it, you know, <laughs> to, to its fullest. And she was so, she was so positive. I was like, do you ever have a bad day? Oh God. <laughs> it was all great until her dog bit me in the foot. <laughs> Winston. <laughs> I remember that dog. That was a sign of love. <laughs> Winston. I, I, was in, I was in the Brown's kitchen once and your mom said, Tanya, your mom said, you know, I've decided to forgive OJ. And I, I, I looked at her like she was a Martian. I think she saw that expression on my face. And I was like, I hate the guy and he didn't kill my daughter. How, how on earth can you forgive him? And she just had this worldview that was so kind and forgiving. And yes. she radiated this love yeah. uh, that was just, am I hitting it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she, absolutely. Was, she was really a remarkable person. Really? Absolutely. And, and it sounds like, and you are too, yeah. quite oh, honestly, Jody. I could see the magnetism towards each other because yeah. you have not just this commonality in losing a child, but you both the same soul. You know, have a good soul where you want to move forward in positive ways. Because this kind of tragedy that hit both Mrs. Brown and yourself would wreck a lot of people's the, the entirety of the rest of their lives. And I, that's not a judgmental statement. I haven't been through that, but let's face it. Um, you've both handled this with a lot of dignity. Did, did you talk about efforts to, to uh, take the fuel from these traumas and do something good with it or any kind of conversations along that line? Um, yeah. And she, she would just say, Jody, she'd always say this to me. She'd say, I could never do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's true. She'd, yeah. She'd say that. My mom also. always took the backside, like the back burner. She never, I mean, she cared about domestic violence victims and survivors, but my mom always like stood on the back. Just that's why she said, I can never do what you do. Yeah. You're taking it to a whole other level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it, so it sounds like you're reaching out, Jody, and, and you're kind of your survival stage and making friends and connecting with people like Mrs. Brown. Were there other people that helped you in kind of kind of getting back on your feet? Um, yeah, I, you know, I got a lot of support from my girlfriends, you know, yeah. from my friends that I've had for years, and mm. and then Facebook support. It's, it was incredible, the support, you know, that I've had through Facebook. Face, Facebook isn't all that bad. It's not all that bad, um, yeah. Yeah, there's been an, an incredible amount of support through Facebook. And so, um, and then, you know, realizing I'm not alone here. Yeah. I mean, like, there's all these other parents, moms and dads who lost their kids the same mm-hmm. way. And so, it's like, wow, you know, just hearing them, you know, share and they'd call me and, you know, they, they, they just would want to vent to somebody else who lost their child, I guess. And, and so, you know, we would talk on the phone and, and, and if I can help that mom, you know, and Mm -hmm. to deal with her pain, you know, that's what I did. And I still do. You still do it. I still get calls all the time. So, 
Yeah, it's just, it's good for my soul to help somebody. Yeah. Sir, I, I think you, you kind of just answered the, my next question. And that is in terms of surviving, you, you got engaged, meaning with the community. Because you have a big name here in Orange mm-hmm. County. And you have actually a big name all over, Everywhere. All over the place. Yeah, um, <laughs> everywhere. We'll get to that in the next episode in terms of your huge accomplishments. But in terms of just kind of getting back on your feet, any changes in your daily, you know, rituals or habits or anything that kind of helped you kind of through this, this really tough time of not only losing your son mm-hmm. as if that's not enough, but then this, you know, this, this discovery and awareness of dirty doctors and people, this is all very preventable. Um, if not mm-hmm. just frankly, almost deliberate uh, recklessness, what, what was helping you kind of survive? So walks, mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. be honest with you. And I, I, I share this when I do presentations in schools to, to the high school kids who have anxiety and depression. And, you know, it's like exercise and, and go to the gym or whatever and eat right or whatever. But my walks really just like, hmm, <laughs> they just do something to calm everything down, to calm my nerves. And, you know, so I go on like, three-hour walks, excuse me, not three-hour, three-mile walks. <laughs> I'm like, I wish I had <laughs> three <walk>. hours. <laughs> three hours, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I'd be in an Epsom salt bath. <laughs> but really, my survival is probably a lot of it has to do with the stress level that is relieved by walking. Uh-huh. And I just, I like doing that. So that's being in nature, me. right? I mean, you walk around La Paz Lake, you walk around, you know, the paths in Laguna Niguel, you have your little dogs, Melly, yeah. you know, and I mean, she's got these cute little dogs and the dogs chase the squirrels, you know, I mean, it sounds, it sounds silly, <laughs> but that's dog. really right. But that it's like your dogs, but just like, their engagement with nature alone, you know, that brings, I always say like, do something that brings joy to your heart. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, but you know, those walks can bring some, bring back memories because, Oh, this is where Jerry used to play football on Yosemite drive. Oh yeah. You know, and this is his best friend's house. I'm walking right past, you know? And Mm. so those things are, are little triggers for me, but I also like want to smile because I think about the fun he had, you know, like not, in a healthy way, the funny head on Yosemite Drive, you know, in Laguna Niguel is a grassy area where I walk by every day. And he and his friends would play football in the rain, even sometimes. And they had fun there. And so it, it's those, you know, memories too that that help as well as taking drives, you know, with my son, Blake and Bill, and we take drives and we go places, you know, one of the signs to look for that I want to talking about taking drives is that Jared loved his family. Right. And he loved being with us, but towards the end, taking a drive to Malibu and then, you know, wanting to have dinner afterwards, he threw a fit. Um, he was gone too long from his friends mm-hmm. and I had no idea. He caused a scene this one night, you know, we were in a restaurant after we went to LA and I forgot, I think we went to Venice or Malibu or somewhere, but, and we were gone for a few hours and he wanted to get back and we went to this restaurant. No, we're going to dinner now. No. And he, he literally threw, it was so horrible. Mm-hmm. It was just so sad, you know? And then he thought that Blake and I were texting about him to each other in the car and he threw a, he's just, let me see your phone, Blake. And, 
you know, just paranoia. the things that were happening with his brain was so tragic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we'd be sitting at a light, you know, on his way to school. <laughs> Who knows what he had in the system then, but he was like, um, what are you staring at with the guys, you know, at the red light? And one time um, he wanted to be dropped off at, you know, when he got his DUI, he had to go to um, AA meetings. And um, and so after the AA meeting, because he says, oh, it has nothing to do with me. You know, he says, I don't drink alcohol. <laughs> I'm like, Jared, didn't you get it? <laughs> and then he's like, drop me off at Mike's. I said, no, I'm not doing that. You're coming home. He says, drop me off. And he's at, literally taking the steering wheel, you know, and trying to turn it. I'm like, stop, Jared. And then he jumped out of the car. Mm. Wow. It was, you know, I wasn't going fast. He jumped out of the car though when it was moving. Wow. So these things that were wow. happening, I think I'm getting off track here, but that's okay. That's well, you know, I'm I'm glad you did go off yeah. track because one of the words I use repeatedly in my book is rinse and repeat, meaning you get to a point of from dive to survive and even to thrive and you repeat and you go back to the anger or go back to the flashbacks mm-hmm. or go back to you know revisit the angry stages and you just kind of modeled that and yeah. that's totally normal it's yeah. totally okay thank you and, well yeah, it, it, yeah. and yeah. Um, it's not linear what we're talking yeah. about right so you, what what you just showed was what everyone needs to see and that is this this whole process is And the emotions you're feeling and the kind of rinse and repeat nature of this whole thing is very normal. Mm -hmm. And I see, I've seen it over and over again, thousands of times, because I study disasters, you know, that's what I do. And I meet the people behind the statistics and I'm not very bright. You've probably figured that out, but I, I, can, I can sit and listen. That's, that's kind of my gift. I, I can, I have a pretty high threshold for listening to these stories that my clients and people have gone through. And I see what you just expressed. Mm-hmm. It's very normal. Yeah. And people shouldn't feel bad or ashamed for it yeah. at all. Don't apologize. You. Yeah. 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 There was, there was one more incident that happened that was crazy because it was just before it happened. This was in December. Um, we had a trip uh, scheduled for big bear and he always went on trips with us, you know, and loved them. And this time he didn't want to go. And I was like, Jared, you're going. And this is um, this is while he was taking the medications I'm giving him, you know, from the doctor. And um, I said, Jared, you're going to Big Bear. And it took like forever to get him out of bed to want to go, to make him go. And it ended up being like the best trip he said that he ever took. Oh. He absolutely loved it. And ironically, coming down the hill when we left Big Bear, we stayed in a cabin for a few days. And when we left going down the hill, he videoed. He videoed all the snow and coming down. So I have that footage. Mm. Oh, that was our last trip with him. Mm. But he, um, something happened in Big Bear even. My God, you know, we're going to dinner in, in, in the village. And he says, oh, I'm meeting. I have a friend that's, you know, out here. I, I want to go say hi. Can you drop me off here? And then I'll walk down to the restaurant, which was kind of kind of close to the restaurant. Okay. I guess that wasn't a good thing, but I thought he was like doing good because, you know, I'm giving him those medications, you know, to get Mm -hmm. him better. But um, I don't know what he did there, but he ended up getting something and he went into the bathroom right away when he got into the restaurant. uh, So I was just hoping the medications that the doctor prescribed that promised me would, you know, stop his addiction would 
start kicking in and help them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is reasonable. Cause again, you don't know what you don't know at that time. It's like, you didn't know what you know now, mm-hmm. you know? So. Well, I'm glad you said that Tanya, because yeah. I think it's a perfect time to ask you that question. And that is, if you were with the body of knowledge you've accumulated, because I know you've become quite a gigantic expert in this whole area, what would you tell your prior self at that time? And, and as the mom of a high school kid who's getting into, you know, the pot and then the opioids and, and all the garbage, uh, what would you say to that parent? Get them help immediately. Do not wait. <laughs> and when you say help, can you mm-hmm. put some more? Find a treatment center. Right. Find a treatment center. Yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to a buddy of mine. I met this guy on a TV set on a thing we filmed. His name's Joe Bratt. He's in he's in uh, Florida, but he works all over the country. And my buddy Joe, uh, he knows everyone. Uh, believe it or not, in fact, we're going to have him on this episode. I'll just <laughs> go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> Good. Next time he's in California. His dad was killed by John Gotti. No kidding. Oh, and wow. He got two uh, two years of... Uh, of uh, prison. Gotti got two years or three years, something like that in prison for murdering his dad. And just <gasps> like our last guest wow. who, who lost a dad uh, or, uh, you know, my point is Joe's business, if you want to call it that his really his passion is getting kids that say, no, I won't go to key, uh, rehab. He shows up. He's a big intimidating guy. You get to know him. He's you love the guy. Um, but he says, look, you're going to rehab. You're going to either go in the trunk of my car or you're going to go right next to me, but you're going to rehab. And, and you look at Joe and it's like, okay, I'm going to rehab. He's got a incredible, crazy story. I love the guy, but it sounds like you would have called a guy like, uh, you know, like Joe Bratt to, to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, I wish that when Joe said, I'm not going to rehab, you know, that we would have forced it. I, or I wish the court would have forced it when he got his DUI. You know, I wish the court would have said, okay, you have to go to, you yeah. have to go to treatment. Yeah. Um, but as a parent, you would have not taken any ifs, ands, or buts. It would have happened. Yeah. It, it sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah, like you said, yeah. if I knew, I always say, if I knew you then what, what I, know I know now, now maybe Jared would be here today. You know, right. So yeah. absolutely, you know, if I knew what was going on and about re- rehabs and treatment centers like I do now and the good ones and the bad ones. Oh, yeah. And believe me, there's bad. <laughs> the good well, there the are. Bad, but Joe, bad Joe says when, when I've talked, because I've had some long conversations with him and he says, you know, the chances of rehab working are like 50-50. I forget the numbers. And he says, would you rather have a hundred percent chance of losing your kid? Mm-hmm. Because on yeah. this path, you're going to lose a very high chance, maybe not a hundred, but you, you know, I always get absolutes, but a big high <laughs> chance yeah. we get it. But at least you have a 50% chance better if you get them into rehab yeah. than, than just giving up and, and uh, you know, letting it throw it, it to the wind. And, yeah. Right. And, but then my, also my thought process was actually too back then was, uh Oh, he's going to make new friends and he might find more drugs and different types of drugs that he'll learn about there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, yeah. 
Well, it's, it's such a messy thing. You know, I, I, when I uh, volunteered at the homeless shelter down the street, um, the friendship shelter mm-hmm. before the, they, they didn't allow volunteer teachers to come in, which makes no sense. That doesn't make any just sense. My opinion. <laughs> anyway, um, there was a woman there and she was a sharp, beautiful, articulate, blonde woman from Orange County. And she shows up in my classes like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and and uh, she got a, she was in a car wreck. She got, uh, had to have back surgery, injury to her spine. She got opioids to manage the pain. She was instantly addicted to them. She was an executive at a, at a large company whose name will remain nameless. She was, and, and this addiction took her down. Wow. She lost her husband. She lost her kids. Yeah. She lost her house. She lost her job, lost everything, everything. started living in the house or, or the car, sold the car to get drugs and is in the homeless shelter. Wow. Okay. That's um, what happened. She, and she's a lucky one because she came back to thank me and the other volunteers one day and she had gotten a job in town and she was just back to her old self, reconnected with her kids nice. and all that. So there, there can be a happy There's ending hope. from this. But the point is, is that these opioids are absolutely Satan's nectar. I yeah. mean, they they really take you down. That's actually oh beautifully said, Satan's nectar. I'll never forget the time. This was probably 2014. And I got a call from a woman who uh, lived in Aliso Viejo and her husband was addicted to Vicodin. And she asked if I can go talk to him. Mm -hmm. And I went there in this beautiful 6,000 square foot home. He owned his own business as well. Very Mm -hmm. successful. And um, just him and I are in his office in the house. You know, mom took off with the little kids and it was just him and I talking. And he did have an accident and he was addicted to Vicodin now. Yeah. And, but not only that, he started misusing it and crushing it and snorting it because Uh, 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 just taking it with water wasn't wasn't really doing anything. And and so he says, um, thank you, Jody, you know, uh, for being here and I'll listen to you. I gave him a list of places he can call. And he says, I'll do that. I'll be right back. Goes upstairs, came back down. There's oh, powder in oh, his nostril. Oh. I can see that he had just crushed a pill and snorted it. And oh. it was like, oh my God, did I like, did I do this to you? <laughs> to no. Him? Did I get him like all full of anxiety and where he had to go upstairs and do that right away? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but they ended up divorcing. That's really sad, but yeah, yeah this is, I mean, it affects everyone. It affects everyone. And when people say, oh, it'll never happen to me. I'll never lose. This is the disease of the yets, right? Where it's like, I haven't gotten a DUI yet. I haven't lost my house yet. I haven't lost my husband or my wife or my partner yet. I haven't lost, right? It's the disease of the yets where, okay, eventually it's going to catch up with you. So catch it now, right? Yeah. And, and I loved what you said earlier, Tanya. This stuff is really serious. It will take down an elephant quite literally. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. deadly, nasty stuff. I know. You know, there's been several times where I show overtaken and speak in uh, middle schools and even the parents are there and there's kids and I call them out with casts on, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, you do. broken collarbone or their wrist, you know, they have a crack. and I'm like, okay, what happened to you? And they tell me, and then I'm okay, what does the doctor want to give you? What, what are you taking for it? And the moms come out then and start and talk and they say, okay, well, he's taking Norcos for it. Mm -hmm. 
And I mm. said, okay. And I had just like shared the whole thing about Norcos. Norcos is heroin in a pill. Yeah. Norcos is pretty strong for a, you know, a middle schooler. And anyway, they just like kind of, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. You know, you it's like no big deal. It's, it's alarming, but you hear some pharmaceutical name and it sounds so innocent. And so helpful. normal. Yeah. You know, it's like something you watch between commercials of the Super Bowl. And yet this is, I mean, it's just, it is an opioid. It's, yeah. it's basically it's heroin. Yeah. Pills, pills are it like is. the, yeah. Pills it, are kind of like the, the rich person's heroin, right? Kind of like, because a pill can cost anywhere between 80 and 90, a hundred dollars, but heroin is cheap. But I think like, you know, you two are a little bit older than me, but any time before heroin kind of met, you know, the culture of today, I always thought, okay, heroin is the junkie, like the Janis Joplin's right back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, the, the James Moore, Jim Morrison, you know, it happened to those people, you know, who were shooting up in their veins. I never thought in my wildest dreams that heroin may, would make a presence in today's culture. So, but when heroin, you know, when the opiates get too expensive, they go to the heroin. Exactly. Yeah. And, w- and you were going to say something, Jody. What were we going to say? Um, well, I also, with, with the wisdom teeth pull, you know, and yeah. the, the, the dentist oh, like wow. to prescribe Norcos for that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've had several stories about that where these young adults now who started really a long time ago when they were teenagers, young teenagers, and they went to the dentist and they had their wisdom tooth pulled and they were given Norcos and they're addicted to heroin. Heroin. because. Yeah. Narcos, and then it led to oxy, and then heroin, and so you know these these parents though that just kind of blew me off when by saying yes, I'm giving them narcos and it's fine, or Vicodin even too for these minor injuries. Mm-hmm. I have a documentary on YouTube called Better Sore Than Sorry, and it's about mm. two two um, adults who played football or they played sports and they were injured and yeah, they got addicted. And so it's important, you know, like Jerry with his broken collarbone, given the Vicodin, you know, the better sore than sorry. Yeah. I mean, and, oh. yeah. And no one's immune. I mean, you can have beautiful blonde housewives from Orange County. You can have, you know, construction workers that get, you know, fall off a ladder and, you know, break a bone, getting yeah. prescriptions sure. and anybody Anyone. anywhere. This is not, this is literally in the most affluent, and the middle class and the lower income areas and everything in between, no one is immune from this stuff. Mm-hmm. Anybody that thinks they're in a safe place yeah. is deluding themselves. Exactly. Because we're all at risk. Yeah. You know, I have my wisdom teeth out. I got the stuff. I, I don't happen to have that gene, but I have others in, you know, close to in my family that do have that gene. So you never know. You never it's, know. It's a game yeah. you don't want to play. Yeah. With. I know. You don't know how you're wired. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody not too long ago who is a veterinarian. And she said there is a lot of drug addiction in the veterinarian community because the drugs, the animal tranquilizers and everything are readily available for the for the veterinarian, like the aides yeah. and as well as nurses, as well as um, as dental hygienists as well. It's like everything is readily available for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 About a year ago, my other son, Blake, he had all four of his wisdom teeth pulled. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, and he went home and I gave him Advil. And if you rotate Advil with a Tylenol, that works really good. Mm-hmm. And so I did that just for that first day. 
and he didn't need anything the next day and he was fine. Um, but yeah, he had all four of them pulled and one of them was really, you know, deep. And I mean, they had to dig at it, you know, but he was fine with Advil and Tylenol. Yeah. It was like, yeah. And that's what I'm hoping doctors who are listening will understand, you know, yeah. Give yeah. them yeah. that, you know, recommend that first. And if yeah. that isn't going to work, you know, then they might need something else, maybe. Um, yeah. You know, nothing addictive. Exactly. You know, my brain is rewired differently now. I mean, ever since, you know, my episode in 2004 and then especially after losing my mom, like my brain is, is totally different than when I was a kid. And, you know, we'll talk about it, but you, you always say one choice can destroy, right? Where... I've said numerous times where I'm like, I pray to God, I don't have to go under surgery, right? Because if I go, if I have surgery, how am I going to get through it, right? With the pain, you know, because that one choice can destroy because at the end of the day, we don't know how we're wired. We don't know. So, and why take that risk, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, Tylenol, you're, you know, you're 600 or 800, like ibuprofen. I mean, that's, that's non-addictive, you know, but that, that has always stayed in my head. Like, I don't know how I'm wired. And anybody who's listening, you don't know how you're wired. You know, <laughs> yeah. one choice can destroy. And it sounds to me, Jody, like part of your survival stage was instead of uh, running away from this ugly topic, you're confronting it all. Mm-hmm. You're confronting the language. You're confronting the education of the, what these drugs are, what they do, how people get into it, where they get them from the dirty doctors responsible for dispensing them, uh, the whole kind of dark underbelly of society, if you will, the fact that regular, normal, good people get into this uh, sometimes quite innocently and get hooked and the dangers of it. And that sounds like in addition to the walks and the having the dogs and, and talking to your friends, your survival stage was kind of an accumulation of all these healthy practices and, and I'll use that word again, confronting all the ugliness of this along with other things where you just go and chat with your friends and, and everything else. Um, anything else you, I'm going to give you the last word on the survival stage. Yeah. I mean, I think my mission has helped with my survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, feeling like I'm giving back or feeling like, you know, God took Jared for a reason mm-hmm. because when it happened, Somebody said that to me, God took Jared for a reason. And I said, no, there's no good reason why God would take my 19 year old son. Mm -hmm. And then after Jared passed and his three close friends who I loved as well, it's like, okay, you know what? Something's got to be done. And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I just feel like, you know, this is my survival mode is like trying to save another family from Mm -hmm. going through the devastation. It's your purpose. It's your purpose. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and and just seeing these beautiful young adults who contact me and seeing their potential, which I can cry again. Yeah. Um, when they're addicted and I can see through their addiction and who they are, I, I see that. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, how can I stop my mission when I see that? Yeah. Yeah. So. I want to mention something. Do you remember here, Jody? Here's some Kleenex. I mean, no, like, yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, how can you not <laughs> get teary eyed? That's all right. No, I mean, that's it's you let just be authentic. I mean, how can you not like get teary eyed yeah. when you're talking about such a thing, you know? But I remember I was on a, I was on Oso Parkway. I was coming off the five. Remember that? The what? The five freeway off of Oso. Mm-hmm. So I was going north on on 
on uh, on yeah. uh, the five mm-hmm. and <laughs> went off Oso, went left. And there's that gas station right there. And there was literally a girl who, and we were at a light, it was red. And all I saw was this truck, this big truck, uh-huh. like coming up to, to the right. And I saw this girl totally loaded. I don't know what she was on. Do not know. But I knew like, obviously I knew she was on something and she was just like crossing the street, just like didn't know. So I angled my car. I would rather have gotten hit than witness this truck hit this girl. Mm. But I like the light turned green. And I was like, I, I don't remember where I was going, but I called Jody and I said, Jody, <laughs> You got to cut like there's and then I noticed like there were other kids at the gas station at the same time. And I'm like, Jody, this is what the girl looks. I called 911. I did that. I called 911 and I said, hey, listen, there's this girl. I know that I just have a feeling something bad is going to happen. She's crossing the street, totally loaded on something. Don't know. And um, called 911. And then I called you. Yeah. And I said, OK, Jody, this is where I am. Yada, yada, yada. And when you showed up, the cops were there. And then you showed up. The thing that I love about Jody is that there's no pride. Like she'll go up, face the officers, like, what can I do? And they're they're receptive. Or they'll say, hey, you know, Miss Barber or Jody, you know, please step aside. But but you have no problem confronting. That's it. like you have no problem confronting, which I just love. And, you know, but but I just still right now I get that gut feeling of that girl walking by and this visual of this truck. Cause I knew the light was going to turn green and I just turned my car and, you know, thank God nothing happened, but I called 911 right away. So, you. you know, for all the listeners out there, don't be afraid. Like if you're witnessing something, you see something call 911 because if something happens and you hear about it on the news and then you say, and then you say, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have done something. So don't, don't like, don't wear those shoes. And, yeah. but I always call Jody. I'm like, okay, Jody, this is, what, and you're there. I know. Oh, you know, for I couldn't believe it for a while there for the first few years, I'd say the first five years, it was unbelievable what I was witnessing after Jared. Unbelievable. Right there on Moulton Parkway, an overdose. A, a young person laying on the sidewalk and it was an overdose. I, My son Blake and I are driving in the car um, going to his friend's house and in Marina Hills, and we see two boys and a girl, and the girl is in the front, and the one boy is driving, and the other is in the back, and the girl looks like she's, you know, out with her mouth open and like, like on drugs, nodded out, you know, right. bad. So I followed them, and they went to a park, and um, they were trying to get her out and trying to like wake her up, you know, and trying to do something for her. And I said, you, you guys, you need to call them. 911 right now, or I will. And did they? And they're saying, oh, no, she's okay. She's okay. No, she's not okay. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. And I did. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to be bold. You got to be bold. Yeah. It's like these overdoses that I was witnessing, you know, unbelievable. A couple years ago in Lake Forest, I'm in the parking lot going into the shopping center and the fire trucks are there. And it was horrible. A man had overdosed. He, he was already dead for a while. You can tell. Oh, and um, he was in the driver's seat. I mean, it's everywhere. You know, it is. And they're these young, beautiful faces that these kids that are dying in Walmart bathrooms and, you know, in parks and like Knox, right. And alone. Not- oh. Yeah. It's just well, tragic. What I'm hearing from you, Jody, is that 
in the survival stage, you're not running from the problem. Mm -hmm. You're facing it. You're confronting it in all kinds of ways. We're talking about, you know, if you, you know, that we have listeners literally uh, all, all over the country, all over the world and Orange County, the areas you're talking about, I happen to live here. I, I know mm-hmm. this is Orange, you know, real housewives of the Orange County. You know, this is a nice area yes. and, and we take a lot of pride in, you know, uh, all this whole area and to see this going on here, this is, this is, this is, could be any place literally on the planet. If it happens here, it's happening everywhere. Everywhere. So I, I just want to commend you on, on survive, not only surviving, but I'm anxious to get onto the thrive stage where we can really brag about your accomplishments. Yeah. If you don't, we will. <laughs> we will. But, uh, yeah. So thanks for, for confronting it. Thanks for these examples yeah. on post-traumatic thriving where we dive, survive, or thrive. The choice is yours. Thanks for supporting our podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on your favorite social media. For books, merchandise, or to donate, visit coreiq.com. Post Traumatic Thriving is produced by CoreIQ, a nonprofit with a mission to teach the life skills we all need but are not taught in school. CoreIQ and the Post Traumatic Thriving podcast are for informational purposes only and do not provide medical or mental health advice. Always consult with your licensed medical and mental health care providers.